Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. I want to welcome back all of our listeners to this week's episode of Evolving to Exceptional. We have Catherine McCord with us today. She is a neurodiverse woman herself who's built her career on inclusive innovation in people operations and HR tech. She has a really fascinating background of experiences as well as insights to offer us around the topic of curiosity over ego and how that can be incorporated into the workplace to create better experiences for people. So I'm so excited to dive into all of that, Catherine. But first, I want to welcome you and give you a chance to just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, how you got to where you are, and why you do what you do. Thank you so very much for having me, Jessica. I'm excited to be here. This is my favorite topic in the entire world. So I always I'd love to dive into neurodiversity and curiosity. So hi, everybody. I'm Catherine McCord. As she said, I work in people operations. I've been an entrepreneur in that space for almost 10 years now. That makes me feel old now that I just said that out loud for the first time since, <laughs> since I passed our ninth birthday as a, as, as a company. And I've, I have, I've intentionally had a lot of different experiences because I wanted to learn as much as I could and expand my knowledge as much as I could and try everything out there. Um, I have since become an international speaker and presenter, and I focus on innovating HR as well as on curiosity and the evolution of communication. And then my favorite topic of all, neurodiversity, which is really exciting. And then I just, because I didn't have quite enough going on in my life, I just founded a a charitable organization called the Neuroverse, which you can find at jointheneuroverse.org. And that's all about neurodiversity, education, resources, community, and teaching the world that neurodiversity is awesome and that we can be the answer to sustainability. I I really love that that you've created that. And I'm curious just to dive into that a little bit. What the motivating factor is there? Is there a lack of information? What are you seeing in the people that you work with that led you to say, I really think we need something like this. We need something to help people have more information on this topic. And just what led you there? A couple of different things. So on the individual side for the people with the neurodiversity, it one of the main things I see out there is this, a sense of loneliness and a sense of isolation, which is so not needed because we're somewhere between, depending on you know what studies you read and if you want to consider uh, undiagnosed folks or not, somewhere between 20 to 30% of the population. That's a pretty big percentage. So there's no reason to feel alone. And so that's a big part of it. Another part is that people have not been allowed to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So they don't know what they need. So providing resources and helping them learn. In fact, I'm doing a talk this evening about about self-accommodation and how to take care of yourself because we haven't been taught. So on the individual side, that was, that was it. And just wanting people to feel excited about who they are and not feel ashamed about it because it's cool. There's a lot of scientific evidence out there that now we're the future of humanity. And so that's why we're seeing more and more of this. But then on um, on the flip side of that is, and by the way, if anybody wants to research that, the National Institute of Health has put out some really cool studies on that fact. 
But then on the organizational side, it's that they don't know what to do with us. So many companies are so confused and they're just like, I don't, I have this really cool person, but I, I don't know how to get to them. I don't know how to teach them. I don't know how to help them be effective. And they're just struggling and I don't know why. And it's very frustrating for them. And so to give them a resource where they can learn more as well and to give them that opportunity to figure it out and to get creative and to realize that it's okay to embrace difference and that's actually a benefit and how to do that, what that actually looks like. Because a lot of people say, hey, you need to do this, but they don't actually bother to tell you how. So we're creating the how for organizations. I love that. And I love that you hit on, and I asked that question a little bit tongue in cheek, because as we we talked about before I jumped on here, we jumped on here. I myself have neurodiversity. I grew up, I've had ADHD all of my life and not the mild kind where people have just a little bit of distraction. Mine is the full-blown non-functional ADHD. And if I'm not if I'm not doing the right things, if I'm not taking medication and doing the right steps and things like that. And, and I like to share that because I went all the way through school. I got my Juris Doctorate from law school. I did, was very successful in the corporate space. On the surface, a lot of people would never know that's what happens to me when I'm not medicated. And in fact, one of my favorite stories is that when I got pregnant with my son, I went first, my first son, I went off my medicine for the first trimester and my husband and I went back to the doctor. My husband said to the doctor, can she take this again? Because if she doesn't, our marriage isn't going to survive it. It's not going to, it's not going to work because it was so bad. It was such a a contrast. He didn't know that person. So my passion for this space comes from a a real personal space and a, a real recognition of how much I felt that growing up and how much I felt the implications of being different and seeing that as a a brokenness rather than as a benefit. And I love that you talk about the research because there are such benefits to neurodiversity. The way that my brain works actually allows me to juggle a lot of different things at the same time and and to do them well and to do them successfully. Um, And would you speak just a little bit to, we don't have to go too deep into the research, but what some of that is saying for for those that are in the workplace or in the corporate space, that this is really an untapped or a potentially underutilized benefit that you may not be getting from your people today. I also want individuals to understand too, and including parents, because I think a lot of parents get these diagnoses and the doctors are not very good at robust explanations and they leave a downtrodden or just a fear because they don't understand. They don't know what it is. They don't understand. And so I think it's very important to get this information out there. So number one, I do want to acknowledge the disability that comes along with neurodiversity. Um, And there is, and some of it's social disability, meaning that's what society has placed on us, not so much that we're defective, but that society's just not built for us. That's part of it. But then there are also very real physical and emotional tolls as well, as and sometimes even uh, developmental, it just depends. So I want to acknowledge the disability aspect as well, but what science is teaching us, and you can find these studies uh, through Harvard, through Johns Hopkins, through uh, Cornell, McKinsey, um, oh gosh, how many others? Oh, Hewlett Packard has a fantastic study on this, as a matter of fact. They're one of my favorites. And so from the employer perspective, Hewlett Packard's is 
by far the most groundbreaking. And now other organizations such as Salesforce and Walgreens have started to adopt their program because they realized how successful this was. So they said, instead of just hiring for neurodiversity, we're going to cultivate it. We're going to say, work in a way that's natural for you, whatever that looks like. So if you want to have camera off meetings, if you want to walk around while you work, if you want to sit on a yoga ball instead of a desk chair, if you want to use fidget spinners, noise canceling headphones, my favorite, because I've done this before and it's highly successful, or symbiotic work cells where multiple people come together to complete a unit of work. So all the work assigned to all the people gets done, but it gets done collectively, not individually. And so they let all of this ride and they just said, okay, whatever you need, we're going to do it. And what happened was productivity went up over 30, well over 30%. Everybody was happier, healthier, more creative, customer service went up, and eventually, of course, their profits go up. So it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing to realize that supporting people, and, and this is what's interesting, whenever I bring up the things that help people with neurodiversity, even people without neurodiversity start going, wait a minute, that might help me too. I'm like, exactly, exactly, because mm. inclusive design helps everyone, everybody. It's just like the ramps on the sidewalks, those are put there for people with wheelchairs, but they help people with strollers, people pushing carts, people like just whatever. It helps everybody. It make, if you're just not paying attention, you're texting on your phone. It helps you to have a ramp instead of tripping over yourself. So inclusive design helps everybody. And that's the thing that we've got to start realizing is that we just haven't, it's not that there's anything wrong with these other humans. It's that we haven't designed a society for them. And that's true of so many different diversities, not just neurodiversity, but it's very important to embrace that. And when you do, the studies are endless to show what happens. And but I want to take something you said there and maybe tweak it just a little bit, which is around acknowledging the disability. And one of the things that really helped me was to change that to a different ability. And that instead of it being a negative reflection, that there's something like wrong or broken, that my neural networks, my brains, we talk a lot about that when we look at things through a neuroscience lens, my brains work differently and they work like this. And somebody else might work a little bit differently and work like this. And they're just different. And one of the things I say often is the way when we put a label like disabled or when we look at people like they something's not right, what we're really doing is what's really happening is we're looking in a mirror that's broken. We're not broken. The mirror is broken. And so I don't want to negate your point about that. There may be negative impacts based upon the world and how people perceive or the impact of having a particular neurodiversity and how others perceive that neurodiversity and it impacting you. But it's the mirror that's broken. Each person was created perfectly the way that they were supposed to be created and has the ability to create meaningful input and live meaningful and valuable lives in our world within oh. within those within that body, within the neurodiversity they were gifted 100%. with. 100%. And when I mention social disability, that's exactly what that is. That's society yes. saying that something is broken when it in fact is not. It's based, it's the perception, like you said. Now, a couple of things. And now one thing real quick I thought was very cute that you said, because this plays into something that I, I say all the time. I talk about us being human octopuses and octopuses, not everybody knows, not only have multiple legs, but they have multiple hearts and multiple brains. And at one point you said my brains 
plural. And I was like, yay, the octopus brains, like multiple brains. So that was just cute. That just struck me. But one thing I do also want to hit on, though, is that there is some physical disability. So neurodiversity is a very broad spectrum, right? It goes everything from dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, autism, OCD, bipolar, all these things, all the way to even physical conditions that also affect the neuro side, such as epilepsy, cerebral palsy, et cetera. One thing, though, that I do like to be very clear about is that while social disability, I would agree, is by far the biggest disability that we deal with, which has, again, nothing to do with us, but everything to do with society, there can be very real physical disabilities as well, depending on your neurodiversity. So, for instance, one of mine is, we discussed this again before the call, is my seizure disorder that affects my neuropathways. And there are days when I'm to put it lightly, flopping around like a fish at a discotheque. That, and that creates a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. And so it can be anything from that to the frequent shakes of people with cerebral palsy, things like that. People with traumatic brain injury can have complete sections of their lives erased. So I like to give honor to that. But to your point, a lot of the main disabilities that people see are not actually disabilities. So I, for instance, I have... I've had people talk to me about, oh, people with autism don't communicate effectively. That's completely inaccurate. They communicate just fine. They just communicate differently than the rest of us. Now, there are nonverbal autistic folks and things like that, but even they communicate. (laughs) It's just differently than we do. So I think, you know, there's a lot of room for human communication to expand and to grow. Um, even people with ADHD. So my best friend has ADHD. I don't know if you do this too, but she does this really cute thing where she talks in loops. Like she'll talk and she'll go off on this other story and it goes way other thing. And then it starts like slowly circles back and it comes back to this thing. She's telling me all the things. In fact, I get an incredible detail with it. Right. But it's just then some people want to receive communication. So that whenever we stop and we want to say that somebody doesn't do something properly or doesn't do something well, we really need to stop and first think, is it just that I'm not receiving it well? Mm. And that's very much where I've started getting into the curiosity approach as it pertains to neurodiversity specifically, because I started realizing that a lot of these issues out there, a lot of inclusion period that, that needs to happen is not happening, is broken, because humans naturally create their reality based on themselves. That's a natural thing. You shouldn't feel bad. That's the natural inclination that you have. But it's actually not a helpful way to do things. And it doesn't help us to best connect and to better understand each other. And the ego mechanism that I talk about so very much is, again, a naturally occurring thing. We all have it in our brains. And what it is, our brains need to defend itself. Our brain needs to be correct in order to feel safe. And so when it doesn't feel safe, when something has given it conflicting information, it will throw up defenses. A dramatic version of this is when we're on social media and somebody is arguing beyond all reason, (laughs) just angrily about something that does not require anger. That's an exaggerated version. But then there are little micro versions of that every day where we see something, we automatically go, nope that's not it because that's not the thing that's in my head. And it's one of the things that I teach a lot is how to break that, to respond in curiosity. So that leads back to then the, okay, so this human 
is communicating this way. It is not effective. It is not hitting me right. It's upsetting me. Or it's not effective for me or whatever. So then stopping and going, okay, so what can I do? Or what compromise can we reach to make this more effective? I, I really love that. And I love the curiosity lens. And I want to go back to your comment about the multiple brains, because we really do actually teach. And part of our philosophy is based on a multiple brain integration technique. And that yeah. whether you call them neural networks or intelligences, we have neural networks in our heart. We have neural mm -hmm. networks in our gut. We have neural networks in our autonomic nervous system. And all right. of those systems are, I'll use brains in quotes there, that work together to create who we are. And I think what's interesting about the research and the things that you just talked about is that we still know so little. Huge discoveries are being made in research every year, almost every month, that are t telling us things that we never knew about how our bodies and brains worked and how we respond and react in environments and how our systems are wired up to create the results and the experiences that we have in our lives. And I think you highlight really well there that when our head brain is not in its highest capacity, when it's not working at its best, it gets into this ego. It can get into this ego state and it can't see things from, it can't create a reality from a perspective that it doesn't have information or data right. around. And so that's where I think what you're talking about and what you do, I think is so important is helping to create that understanding so that teams can come together and workplaces can figure out yes how to tap into the benefits of all of that intelligence that's in their workplace. Oh yeah. And when you start learning from other people, it's just extraordinary. And this, and it completely expands your brain. And by the way, it's so funny. So people are addicted to that ego mechanism. Almost every human is addicted to their own ego mechanism because it releases adrenaline and dopamine and we're addicted to those chemicals. And when you switch that off, which I do with a very simple grounding exercise. So I literally spent five minutes one day teaching my brain that if I touch the arms of my chair or if I tap my foot once firmly on the ground, that I am safe. And I taught it all the things that that means. When this happens, I have food in the pantry. I have a roof over my head. No one is trying to attack me. My body is safe. Like I walked it through these things. And so now I can just do that real quick. So whether I'm sitting or standing, it works. And my brain automatically knows I'm safe. This thing has happened. I am safe. And I, again, I taught myself that in five minutes. So now when something happens, I do that. And then I take a quick breath just to, and then I ask a question. And it's, it's become so fascinating because it's completely changed my relationships, every relationship in my life. It has completely changed my work it's changed how I speak and relate to other humans and it's made such a difference and other people where I've taught this that have started using that have had the same experience every single one of them to a person that's actually tried it has come back and gone oh my gosh this is so different this is so amazing and what happens is when you do that you release oxytocin which is a bonding chemical and it connects you to that other person and we talk a lot in in HR about vulnerability and an inclusion about vulnerability. 
And people always think that the most vulnerable thing you can do is share all these personal things about yourself. I have people all the time that say to me, oh my gosh, how can you say these things about yourself on a stage of however many people looking at you or on, on recordings and you get so personal. I'm like, well, it took a little practice, but that wasn't really that hard. The most intimate thing that you can do is allow somebody else to change your neuropathways. When you get curious with somebody, you're saying, I'm going to receive the information that you have and actually process it. And that physically changes your neurological synapses. And I don't think that there's anything more intimate than that. And so to create that kind of bond with another person is going to also stop a lot of the other potentially negative responses that you could have to them. And it will give you a different reaction to everything coming from them. So it's very important. It's not just about the questions. It's about the chemical release and it's about the bond. And it's about creating more of a unified learning experience than a, I'm the center of the universe and everyone just needs to hear what I have to say. It really is very different. So that's one of the main exercises I use both with individuals and with uh, organizations to get them learning more about inclusion, learning more about neural processes and just flat out communicating better. I, I really resonate with what you just said, especially the vulnerability piece. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how sometimes it's actually really easy to tell a story you've told many times before. It's not yeah. actually vulnerable once you've shared it enough times. That's just part of my story. I don't have feelings about it the same right. way anymore. I think the vulnerability, like you said, is more in the, if I'm going to let you see how this really makes me feel, mm -hmm. if I'm going to let you see inside me in order and and I love it in pursuit of curiosity. Like that what you just said really upset me. That really bothered me. And I want to understand why. Can you help me understand more of what led you to say that or to mm -hmm. and so now you're really allowing yourself to be seen in that what would maybe be called a weaker state or a, a less a more, secure state. Yeah. It's a more open state. That's what I like yes. to call it. So I used open. to volunteer with large cats and I would actually go in with them, these massive, you know, apex type predators, and I would interact with them. And when you do that, you have to use very specific body language or you're going to end up in a very dangerous situation very quickly. And so one of the things that they always teach you is don't guard your midsection because when you start doing that shows a lack of trust. So when you come in and you're comfortable showing your torso and your vulnerable places, then they relax and they realize, okay, this is not a threat. This is an okay situation. And so when you go into these situations with other people, I tell them, you know, show the emotional and mental side of that. It's the same process. It's just more internal than external. And making sure that you are really focused on the connection aspect is huge. And, and one thing too, so a lot of people go, oh, I want to understand why somebody said something that upset me. So one thing, and yes, that is important. And I put a lot of value into that, especially if it was obviously intended to be rude. But the other side of that can be, maybe it wasn't actually rude. Maybe it wasn't actually offensive and something in my past caused me to respond that way. 
and I need to address that. And then we need to come to an understanding because sometimes it's still not okay to say those things to you. So it still needs to be addressed on both sides. But we also need to use the curiosity with ourselves too and go, hold on, why am I feeling that? I'll do that to myself all the time. There are certain things that'll just make me tick. I was at a talk. In fact, this was back when I got the term curiosity to apply to the the things that I teach was from a gentleman named Seth Butler. And we were at a great event called the HR, HRDS, the HR Human Revolution Disruptor Summit. And he said something about, he was talking about forgiveness and all this. And he said something about forgiving Michael Vick, who fought dogs and all this. He didn't know. I had previously, long time ago, worked at the SPCA. I had known some of those dogs. I saw what happened. And I was like, hell no, burn him at the stage. <laughs> No, no forgiveness for this human. And it was a way more aggressive response than it needed to be. Seth just calmed down, just paused and just waited for me. to get. And I said, okay, so I'm going to need to pause on this. We're going to come back to this in a minute. And then we were able to, to talk it out. And I explained to him why I felt that way. He explained his thing. And we came to a great mutual understanding. But it was just sometimes you have to acknowledge the internal aspects too and take responsibility for that as well as the external and trying to understand other humans. So it's both. We have to really learn ourselves and we have to really learn the other people too, if we want to be successful communicators. Yes. And I think when, when we have a reaction like that to something, to start from a place of curiosity before we even dive into our own inner work to understand the facts fully. I know I've had some recent situations where I've had a team member who thought I was frustrated with her. And so she immediately came back and said, I I sense that maybe you were frustrated and I was absolutely not at all. And so it was really important for her to express that sensation so I could quickly clarify, oh, no, I'm just at my limit. I can't make any more decisions today. Like, yeah. I can't. And it has nothing to do with you. I'm just done. And yeah. and then all that, all her rumination, her ego goes away because there's, no, right. there's nothing there. I think what might be helpful on that topic is we're using the term ego, and I'm not sure everybody will know what we mean by that. And so ah, can you help give some examples of what we mean when we're talking about ego? What is it? What does our ego look like when our ego shows up? So our ego is, again, and typically it's a, it's ultimately a defense mechanism, right? It's there to help us feel safe. And, and it, but what it does is it's very attacky. it's very this is wrong this is or it sends you into fight or flight Uh, a lot of times when you're in fight or flight there's an ego component to that as well so when your ego rears its head and the way that you can recognize that is when you have a very strong immediate emotional response to something that's a great way to realize oh wait a minute (laughs) because what we have to remember is that factually our response has a lot more to do with us than that other human So when you have a very strong emotional response to something, it's always wise to stop, recognize that ego defense and determine if it's needed or not. And sometimes it is, right? And sometimes it is, and that's okay. But other times it's most of the time, honestly, it's not. And so we need to stop, reset and go to that curiosity. So the ego defense is, can easily be felt with a strong emotional response. 
because our, our defense mechanism is coming out. That's all those that that rush of frustration that you feel or fear that you feel or angry or anger that you feel. That's the rush of hormones being released. And so you need to turn them off. <laughs> that's why I said I do that real quick grounding exercise because that turns them off and it goes, no, thank you. Don't need that. Thank you so much. Thank you for trying, but don't need it. And then you can just keep going with it. It's just your body trying to, in in your mind, trying to defend itself is ultimately what it is, but it's not really needed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think Cy Wakeman, who is, is a friend of mine, she uses the term, I've done her reality-based leadership. She uses the term reason, stories, and excuses. Anytime you're in making up reason, stories, and excuses as to why something happened. And as you were talking about it, and the reaction reactiveness of it i think it's important to point out often that is a physical response you actually yes. feel it in your body a tenseness an intensity mm-hmm. the physical comes before the ego jumps in to protect the body so the ego's right. jumping in to make up a story come up with a reason why they're wrong and i'm right why i it's not my fault to come mm-hmm. up with that defense and while in a lot of cases we don't need our ego, while in a lot of cases we don't, we, we would benefit from going forward with curiosity, it's important to go with that curiosity first to understand why our body is reacting mm-hmm. that way. Because in some situations, it's appropriate. Oh, yeah. In some situations, mm-hmm. our body may be reacting because this person is actually very unsafe. And yes. we need to be very careful with how we mm-hmm. interact with this person yeah. or or this situation is going to turn out or escalate. 100%. Or whatever. And if you so ever it, feel threatened by a person, I just want to put this out there. If you ever feel threatened by a person, if that's the response that your body is giving you or if it's giving you the, I don't think I like this kind of vibe, back away, physically leave the situation. You can always circle back later, but if there is a human that is initiating that response, there is a reason. So there are chemical um, responses that happen between human beings, and we can actually pick up when somebody is being predatory. And so if you get that vibe, if you get that just, oh, this is not an okay situation, or you're not an okay kind of human kind of situation, just back out of it. I, that's if it's a safety concern, 100% back out. Well, and, and I would, and so what we say is that our gut brain, those neural networks are actually responsible for our safety, yeah. our self preservation. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a person, a situation, a decision that you're going to make, those messages are coming through for a reason. Mm-hmm. And they may be past patterns. We may want to shift our change to have a different outcome. All of those things are valuable. But I think oftentimes, especially in workplaces, and I'm curious with you working with workplaces and in this space, if you see this too, there's this encouragement to ignore those messages. Oh, yeah. To ignore what what information. We don't want emotion. We don't care what your intuition's saying. Just use your head brain. Do what we tell you to do. Complete the widgets. Absolutely. Make them the way we told you to make them. And we don't really care what your unique neural networks are telling you or have to add value. And I think that's a very untapped resource. 100%. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, listening to your intuition is always wise. And, and again, it's the curiosity, why am I having this? Making sure it's a sensible response first and that there's actually something there. And then if there is, 
follow that rabbit hole. Whatever that is, just follow the little white bunny down the tunnel to Wonderland. Whatever you got to do, just just get through that process because it absolutely is imperative. I was told for years, you're too judgy of other people. You shouldn't be so judgy. I quote, worked on it. And what ended up happening was I kept getting bit in the butt because I know how to read people. It is just a gift. I was just born with it. That's just all there is to it. I am never wrong. <laughs> not, not yet. Anyway, it might happen at some point, someday, but it hasn't happened yet. When I have a very strong instinct about a human, and now I just follow it. So if my instinct is nope, <laughs> then, then we nope. And but if it's you need to learn more, then let's learn more. But I have very strong instincts. And so I firmly believe because some of the worst situations I've been in my life were because I listened to other people who told me I quote, shouldn't be so judgy. And I knew going into it that this is what was going to happen. I knew. And then it happened. And then I was like, I have nobody to blame but myself because I let I listen to these other humans instead of myself. So listen to yourself, follow that instinct, but make sure that there's sense to it too. Because sometimes we develop things from trauma and things like that, that we have to think ourselves through and go, okay, this is okay. I'm feeling this because this very bad thing happened. And so thank you, body. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. But this is a new situation. There is no actual evidence that this is going to be bad. And so here we go. And then other times it's just their ego, just no just wanting us to feel right. And I see a lot of, I see a lot of ego blocking inclusion efforts. And I'd like to be very clear to you, because a lot of people don't like the word inclusion right now, which is so weird to me. That's so bizarre, because who doesn't want to be included? That's just weird. That's like our nature as human beings. So inclusion is not infliction, right? That's the line that people are not understanding. And but I'm seeing a lot of needing to inflict who somebody is onto another human all the time. And that's ego. That's just ego. It's my way must be the right way. So everybody else should be just like me. That's infliction. No to that. Boo to that. <laughs> no. Inclusion is saying I get to be me and have my identity, my uh, beliefs, my humanity, all of this right here. This gets to be as it is, and we're going to cultivate that, right? And then this other human can do the same thing. And we're going to come together, we're going to work together, we're going to be respectful of each other. That's it. That's inclusion. It's very simple. It's a very simple concept, but it's just getting missed right now. And a lot of that is ego mechanism. Yeah, I like to the, use the term, these are our ways of being. It's the way that we show up in the world and it's how we're doing, how we're thinking, how we're feeling. They are our ways of being and each of us have our own ways of being. And actually no two people can possibly have the same because we've each we wired up our neural pathways, like you said, based upon our experiences, our traumas, our challenges, our interactions, our relationships have created all of those neural pathways. And it's my belief that the sooner that we work with those neuropathways mm -hmm. and choose to intentionally rewire the ones that are no longer serving us, the more effective we are at doing 
and producing and feeling and living anything, all of the things. <laughs> 100%. And I am living proof of that. My parents actually started me off that way. So when I was little, my first neurodiversity that popped up was the obsessive compulsive disorder, very quickly followed by the misophonia, which for anybody who doesn't know, that's a little bit less common one or less widely known, I should say, is basically there are certain sounds that will make me malfunction neurologically. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, everybody has sounds they don't like. I'm like, yeah, my my thing's a little different than that. But we'll just that's the simplest explanation to help people understand what it is. And they always taught me to steer into it and not away from it. And they taught me how to work with it in a successful way so that I could be productive and accomplish what I wanted to do and I could be healthy and I could be happy and I wouldn't get stuck in these very frustrating OCD patterns, but I could use that to this other advantage, right? And so they just steered into this very bizarre little child that they had just just rolled with it. And so that came naturally to me as I got older to start doing that more and more. It's, oh, that's the thing to do. If this isn't working or if I'm getting angry about this or if I'm getting stuck, if I'm getting stuck with anything, I just need to learn something new and change how I do it and pivot (laughs) this way. And so I I realized the value of that. And I've seen studies about it, about how it works. I I tell my parents all the time, like, y'all were so far ahead of y'all's time. Like, y'all just don't even know. Like, you were just like decades ahead on the parenting scale, on the parenting um, spectrum. I said, but you just, that is such a thing to, to learn to work with yourself and to evolve yourself and to learn to communicate with others to understand other beings and that your way isn't it. That's not it. That's not the thing. Your way, and let me tell you, there's, I don't want a whole world of me's. That would not be good. I think I'm pretty awesome, but I don't think a whole world of me's would just be very bizarre and not very fun ultimately. So want, um, you want a lot of diversity and you want to ex- to learn the other people and embrace them. And there's a lot to, have you noticed there's, there's this new trend that being a jerk is like, the thing to do in, in certain crowds. That's just the thing. Like you should just be a jerk. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, that's a choice. So, that's a choice. It's right. a choice that you're making. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's very productive, but okay. So I'm curious a little bit to get into what it is that you do with workplaces around yeah. some of the challenges that exist with working with neurotypical versus neurodivergent teams and how to, you know, how you work with workplaces to improve that experience on both sides. So first of all, one of the main things that I do is help everybody understand how to break the ego mechanism to to start communicating effectively, because if you can't communicate effectively, you're never going to get anywhere. So we start there. And And then we learn about neurodiversity. We learn what it is, how it works, all different cool things. I bring in some examples, let them see. We get fun and we get psychologically, we get very psychological safe environment. I tell everybody, ask any question. There are no questions off limits. And people get so into that. And they really get to ask the things that are really on their minds. And some of them, like the the neurodiverse people in the room will giggle. And I I do this with other inclusion factors too, right? So whoever it is, they'll giggle, but then they're like, no, but I see that. Like, why would you know that? Like, we know it because we live it, but why would you know that? And so we create a very psychological, uh, psychologically safe environment. We ask the real questions. We solve those problems so that everybody's brain is in the right setting. And then we stop. The next thing is we've got to redesign everything. 
And that sounds so scary to people, but really and truly it's so simple because you just take a process, you look at it and go, okay, here's the thing we gotta get from here to here. Let's design it with this new inclusive lens on it. And what people realize is along the way, it's, oh yeah, that doesn't work, this fits in. We, I've gotten multiple companies gone through all of their procedures within a day and a half. And like we, we did, we redid the whole thing, just made sure that it was inclusive, very simple. And then we make accommodation standard options because by the way, according to the department of labor, 54% of them are free. Why are they not just options? This makes no sense. Why are we making people jump through hoops? And again, people go, why isn't just saying that they can get an accommodation good enough? And a couple of things, number one, people know that they're going to experience discrimination with disability, they're not gonna trust you unless you have done something to show them that yes, you actually care. And that's what that little list of standard accommodations is here, we actually care, it's okay. And then also get back to the thing we talked about at the beginning of a lot of people don't know how to take care of themselves. So when you offer them suggestions, you're saying, I care about you as a human. And what a great freaking thing to say to your team, that I actually care about your well-being. I care about you being able to work in a way that's healthy and natural to you. So here's some suggestions of things. And by the way, fill in the blank if we miss something. So then we do that. We've, we work on neurocommunication and what that looks like and all the fun ways that people might communicate with you. We talk about that direct is not rude. That somebody talking in loops that you can find little signals to help bring them back a little bit quicker if your neural pathways can't stay with that process. And that's okay. Not everybody's can. I think it's cute and adorable. Not everybody can stay with that. And it can also depend where I am in my neuro processes that day as to whether or not I can stay with that process. You know, we just work through the different communication styles, different ways to communicate, different tools that you can use, all of these types of things. And then we just let it go. But the, the other thing that I leave them with is you've got to be flexible. This work that we did is a great start, but at some point somebody will come in and something won't work. And then you just be flexible and you just fix it. And it's not a big deal. The, the organizations that really struggle are the ones that dig in. Like, this is our way. The, this is it. Nope. Mm -mm. Just be flexible. Just be fluid. You'll be fine. And by the way, big organizations do that. Again, Hewlett Packard does that. Virgin Records does that. There are other sales forces getting to the point that they really do that. There are departments, at least, I don't know about the whole organization, but there are departments in Facebook that do this. Just be fluid. It's fine. It's just not that big of a deal. Just, just make it work for people. But even the small companies, people, oh, it's easy for the big companies. I have tons of, all, I specialize in startups and growth stage companies. They can all do it too. Uh, one of my best examples is Synchro. And actually, they're not my work. I did some recruiting stuff with them, and they are beautifully inclusive. No notes for them. And they're one of the best ones I've seen. So just any size company, there's no excuse. Just flexibility. That simple. Listen to your I, people. I love what you're talking about there because I think there's two important elements. One is that there's this essentially the ways of being that create greater self-awareness for people that have an understanding of their needs, of others' needs, of what what leads to those and make a conscious effort to communicate and interact in ways that are helpful and productive. And really, if you train everybody on how to do those things, then inclusion is a natural result. 
that if people have that understanding and those foundational elements with how they interact and how they relate to one another, inclusion will occur. Yeah. And then I think the other side of it is the policy practices, the systems and structures within an organization that need to take into to consideration the ways of being of not just neurotypical, but also neurodivergent mm-hmm. individuals to ensure that they're getting and, and really not just because it's nice for the neurodivergent folks, but I think it's really so that you make sure you're getting the maximum performance results out of the people that are in your workplace because you're really including all of the elements that can help make them more successful, that can help them perform and and deliver better results in your business or in your workplace, right? Absolutely. And it helps mothers, it helps fathers, it helps people who have, who have physical differences. It helps people who have, who have, who are currently experiencing ageism. By the way, I've seen policies that when you are, and procedures that when you really look at them are just built in ageism. (laughs) <laughs> it's just really bad. There's, I've seen policies and procedures that accidentally discriminate against veterans and you just, and, and different religions and things like that. It's completely accidental, but by not including other people and not thinking universally. And that's the thing, you can't know everything about everybody. So you just design everything so that it can be flexible, A, and B, so that it can encompass as much as humanly possible. And it's not so limiting. So you, the main thing you want to do is not limit yourself in your policies and procedures. If, the, if there's any one piece of advice, that's it. But I'll tell you another thing that I do with organizations is we fire the jerk. So there are people that will have misunderstandings, and that's fine. And they, those are the people that you could talk things through with, that you can have a reasonable conversation with, you can educate, all these kinds of things. And then there are the ones that just dig in their heels. And they have just decided that whatever the thing is that's in their head, that's just it. They've got to go because they are not in mission alignment with the organization, which believes in inclusion. And if you leave one there, that will spread mm-hmm. and it will become an infection. So you got to get rid of it just right off the bat, just boop, gone. We try, we try to educate you. We try to work with you. That doesn't work. Bye. Too bad for you. Adios. Go work somewhere else. And that's just part of it too, is that we have to accept that there will be what I call the jerks along the way that just, they just don't want to grow. They just don't want to evolve. Fine, but you don't belong here. And that's just, that's a decision that every company has to make. They have to understand that's going to be part of it. That when you choose ethics and integrity and you choose inclusion, that there will occasionally be the people that don't agree with that and they don't belong at your company. And that's okay. That's an all right thing. And one way I think it can be helpful to differentiate is the difference between what is policy versus what is guidelines or information or awareness. Because when I think of policy, and this is not a distinction that I think a lot of organizations make, but I think it can be helpful. If you think of policy as these are the things that I want so clear, I don't have to police them their policy. So sexual harassment is policy. Policy. It is, it it is something that, that we have to make sure does not occur. Workplace respect may be a guideline 
or understanding of workplace bullying or understanding of what do we mean by this? What do we mean by how we interact and engage around this? Where we're giving guidelines and there's flexibility in terms of people interacting, figuring out how they navigate complex situations, complex interactions to create the best outcome possible. And I think sometimes we try to lump everything into one employee handbook rather than really understanding, no, this is policy. This is how we track time or this is how we dole out benefits. It's black and white. It's very clear from things that are more complicated and more nuanced. Like most employee relations need to just be a basic procedure of how to go about figuring it out and then basic guidelines. But it's, no, you cannot have all of that be black and white. That's just not how it works. And when you try to, I think you end up with more complexity. You end up with more of the situations you're talking about where, I don't know, should I get rid of this person? Should I not get rid of this person? Technically, they did something that was outside the bounds. And and then you're in this, your hands are tied kind of scenario. People, yeah, and that's one thing. I have seen companies that have accidentally tied their hands and had to keep somebody because of some idiotic policy. So first of all, don't write too many policies. Don't do it. Keep them very limited. But another thing that a, a good friend of mine said to me recently, who also works in HR, is that there's never been a a situation where somebody thought, gee, I fired that person too quickly. And yet all the time in HR, we hear, I waited way too long. I kept that person way too long. So again, back to listening to your instincts. Occasionally, there's just going to be a person. And I get asked a lot, how do you distinguish somebody who has um, an inclusion misunderstanding or respect misunderstanding from the jerk? I said, the biggest way is their response. When you come to them, is there a sense of, oh my gosh, okay, let's, yes, let's fix this. Or is it, no, I was right because and even then, like, I'll give them one shot. Okay, maybe that's just their ego mechanism. Let's just make sure. Let's test this out. But if they dig those heels in, that's how you know. This is an inflexible person. This is not going to work out. We need flexibility. <laughs> to be and in leadership, especially, this one always makes me laugh because every time I'm in a big group and I say this, you see those few people that, like, get this look on their face. Oh, but kind of an expression. And I say, if you're in leadership... And you do not believe that inclusion is part of your job or that taking care of your people is part of your job. You're in the wrong line of work. Please exit. (laughs) You do not belong here. Maybe later when you've learned these things, you can come back. But this is your job is to take care of the humans, period. Assuming the company defines it that way. No, really all leadership, that is your job. Because all managers, their job is to take care of the people. Now, different companies define how taking care of them works, <laughs> that kind of thing. But ultimately, your job, if you're in management at any company, your mentality should be, how can I help and support my people? If it's not, how do I support my people to some extent or another? You've missed the boat, completely missed the boat. And the same thing like with HR, there's some people that I'm like, no, please exit. Just go that way. You're in the wrong line of work. Please stop. But seriously, for leadership, if somebody does not understand taking care of people, sometimes that can be trained. So start working with them, providing that kind of coaching. But if they're not there yet, 
it's time to put them in a different role until they figure out how to get there. Because taking care of people is the job. Training, mentoring, supplying, whatever it is that they need, that's your job. And you think... I think that in my experience, that is the case if people are leading and managing other people. There are instances yeah. where there are leadership roles that are strategic, that are business development or project management focused, or and they're not responsible for the, the people component. They're responsible for right. another element. So that's my And that's different. That's if, my you're people of, if you're yeah. managing people... You, yes, I agree. This completely. is your thing. Yes, if you're managing the humans of the of the organization, that is your thing. But yeah, no, if you're just, if you're like a tech leader or something like that and you have no actual responsibility to the humans, that's different. That's very different. So I think we've talked a lot of, uh, about a lot of really interesting uh, topics. I think we could probably go all day with this topic, given both of our passion around this. But as you think about what you do and the science of putting this curiosity before ego and helping to navigate the, the neurodiversity, what would you most want our listeners to understand about that? <sighs> That it's not just about other people, it will help you. It will exponentially elevate your life. Not just your work, not just your communication. It will elevate your entire life to learn to be this way. Trust me on this. 100% it works. And everybody's path with it is different. What everybody learns and takes from curiosity is different. But it always comes out beneficial. I love that. I want to, I wish we could go all day. I want to give you a chance to give any final thoughts, final words of wisdom you have for our audience. I think we've covered so much of value. You you hit on some really powerful science statistics at the beginning of this episode. And I, I think it's important for our listeners to remember that everything we're talking about really truly is based in the neuroscience of human performance. And that when you tap into that human performance, the opportunities are almost endless because we are we know so little and have used such a small percentage of the wisdom of the people in our workplaces that there's so much more we can do. So any final thoughts, Catherine, words of wisdom for our, our listeners as we wrap the episode up? And where can they get a hold of you if they want to work with you? Sure, absolutely. So you can get hold of me on LinkedIn. I eat, live, and breathe on LinkedIn. You can go to my professional site, which is titanmanagementusa.com. Or you can also now go to the join the neuroverse.org. And neuroverse is N-E-U-R-O-V-E-R-S-E. So join the neuroverse.org. And I'm always happy to connect and talk about these topics uh, at any time. So my, I guess my final thoughts, there, there are a few of them, is number one, get curious. Like, just start asking questions. Do research. And if there's something that you just have a really strong feeling about, do some research behind it. Get to understand it. If there's something where you just can't wrap your brain around the other side of the argument, learn about it. Dive into that other side. Understand it. It's not about changing your mind. It's about having the full picture so that you're not accidentally stunting yourself. So go out there, get those full pictures, get curious, embrace inclusion. It's just, it just makes sense. It's all the science backs the benefits of it. Our human development is all about including one another and embracing one another. It just 
is part of being the symbiotic beings that we are. Steer into inclusion, stop the infliction. But you know what? Really and truly, I think, especially given some of the just utterly hateful posts and comments and all of this that I've been seeing, I think my number one message is just choose not to be a jerk. Just don't do it. Just be polite. Think of others. Think outside of yourself. It's really not that hard. I am the human equivalent of grumpy cat. Okay. I am not a sweet, loving little ball of adorable. I am grumpy and like to be left alone. And that's, there's a reason that I have four cats, but it's, but if I can do it, so can everybody else. So just don't be a jerk. Be polite. That's the thing. And embrace inclusion. And most of all, if you're out there and you're neurodiverse and or neurodivergent, whichever language you prefer, know that you're not defective. Know that it's not a deficit. And that even if you have disability with it, that's okay. That you are still awesome and you have tons of strength. There's wonderful science behind that. In fact, Johns Hopkins has one of the best illustrations I've ever seen showing that. So go check it out. Learn about yourself and embrace yourself because you are awesome. I love that. And I love that we are always focused on how can we stay curious, continue to look for those opportunities to grow, to evolve, to rewire our neural pathways so that we can live our best life, so that we can have more exceptional experiences on our life journey, and that we can do this by learning how to intentionally evolve ourselves in order to create that life. So for all of our listeners, thank you for joining in today. We will, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we will be back again next week with another episode. Episode.